Welcome to the Leadership in Context podcast with Keith Tusi. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, but the Word has to have entry. Hi, this is Keith Tusi, and welcome to Leadership in Context, where we are equipping believers to live out kingdom life in the context of their culture and the local church. We are doing portraits of Jesus from the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to go to Mark, the sixth chapter, and read uh, five verses of Scripture there. So listen up as I read. We're going to go back and dig into this a little bit. Jesus went out from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and the many listeners were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things, and what is this wisdom given to him, and such miracles as these performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and Jose, and Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, and seeing his own relatives and his own household. And he could do no miracle there, except he laid his hands on a few sick folks, a few sick people, and he healed them. So most scholars believe this is talking about Nazareth, because he says his hometown, meaning literally his fatherland, where he was from. And of course, the people, as you can see, all know him. They know his brother's names. By the way, isn't it interesting in that context that women were not valued enough to even have their names recorded? It talks about Jesus' brothers, and don't we know his sisters? So we know that Mary and Joseph certainly had other children, contrary to some religious and to Catholic tradition, certainly. But notice what Jesus does. He begins to teach. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word, but the word has got to have entry. So Jesus was a teacher and he began to teach. Of course, what did he teach? He taught from the Old Testament because that was the doctrine, that was the scripture as it still is today. But it says that they were astonished. The tense in the Greek literally means they couldn't get over being astonished. They were in a perpetual state of astonishment. Uh, One translator says that they worked themselves into a frenzy. (laughs) Very interesting. But then it says this. It says they took offense with him. This is very interesting. Of all the things to do, They took offense. They took offense with what they could not wrap their mind around. Very interesting response. Uh, You know, the word offense here is, is, I won't try to pronounce the Greek, but it sounds just like scandal, scandalon. It's where we get our word scandal. For those of you who love to do the Greek words, it's 4624 in your Strong's Concordance. And it means to put a stumbling block. I think a lot of times 
when we think about people being offended, we think just about their own personal thing. But most times we learn about people being offended because they've gone to somebody else and shared that offense. And literally the etymology of this word, where it came from, is when they would try to trap an animal, they would have a stick, like over, you know, you, maybe you did this as a kid, we did this as a kid, we'd have a little box, and we'd put a, a stick on it, uh, under it, and we'd tie a string to it, and see if we could get the, the rabbit or the chipmunk or whatever to go in there, and then we'd, we'd pull the stick real quick and it would fall. Well, that stick was the scandalon. Okay, it's what caused the other thing to fall down. And that's literally the root word of where this comes from. And we've got to remember that spiritually, when somebody gets offended, it's not so they can clear up a problem. Once the person has been offended, they're no longer paying attention to the problem. Now they're taking away from what is being done. In other words, they were offended and it became their job to go and tell everybody uh, who is Jesus. He's got brothers and sisters. We know his mom and dad. How could he be the son of God? How could he be a prophet? How could he be the Messiah? He was a carpenter. Look, he made my, you know, he made my yoke for my, for my cows. He made my, you know, coat rack, whatever Jesus was making. And they diminished his, uh, God calling. They diminished who he was. You know, I always made a joke in our church when I was pastoring, when we would do new members orientation. Uh, you know, we'd talk about doctrine, obviously, but I always to make this statement. I said, ultimately, to be a real functional part of this church, you've got to believe two things. Number one, that Jesus is risen from the dead. That's pretty easy to believe. And if your faith can't grab that, then anything we're teaching or preaching is not going to have any relevance to you. I said the second thing is harder to believe, that when he rose from the dead, he gave gifts unto men, speaking of Ephesians 4, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And the second part, you've got to believe that in spite of my flaws and my humanity, I am one of those gifts, and you've got to be able to receive that gift. Now, that's true, okay? Uh, I like the story. One of our guys came to me one time and said somebody in the church came to him and was kind of dissing me, bad-mouthing me, and he looked at that guy and said, why do you hate me? And the guy goes, what do you mean? He goes, I get so much from Pastor Keith, and his ministry has affected me and helped me so much. Why would you try to steal that from me by getting my head wrapped around this thing you're doing? What a great response that was, huh? Wouldn't you like just to have a bunch of people like that? You'd shut, you'd shut the spirit of offense down so quick it would be amazing. But again, my point I, I want to make is their offense was not just about them. Uh, Thayer's Greek uh, lexicon, he gives some very interesting uh, understanding to this. Now listen to what he says. To cause a person to begin to distrust and desert one whom he ought to trust and obey. Oh my goodness. To cause one to distrust and desert one whom he ought to obey. Ought to, obey. to cause them to fall away. Uh, that is pretty powerful stuff, right? To see in another disapproval 
and of what hinders me from acknowledging their authority. He keeps going on. To cause one to judge unfavorably or unjustly of another. To cause one to feel indignant or displeasure. One thing I learned in pastoral ministry, I actually learned more than one, but this, this one was very important. That secondhand offenses were often harder to deal with than first-hand offenses. In other words, somebody got offended at me or somebody else in the church, and you would work with them and try to bring them to repentance, and sometimes it worked. And they would get delivered and get set free and get over their offense. But in the meantime, they had polluted or affected other people. And often, removing that second offense was harder than removing the first offense. Wow. So we've got to see the true nature of this. And remember this, that if Jesus were, if people were offended about Jesus, people are going to get offended about other things. So when you're offended, not disagreement. Disagreement is not offense. I disagree with that. That's... There's room to disagree. Offense is when you reject the ministry, the office, the person, the anointing, the calling. You diminish that, as Thayer says. You dismiss that. You knock that off course for other people. So disagreement is one thing, but offense is translated several times in the New Testament as stumbling block. In other words, Causing somebody else to stumble. The purpose of spiritual offense, after all, because offense is an accusation, isn't it? And Jesus is, or the devil, excuse me, is the accuser of the brethren. So offense is designed by its nature to get people to stumble so they cannot receive the ministry and the leadership of a person or of a ministry, and certainly would apply to the whole church. Jesus was with his own people, took time to teach them. They were impressed by what he did, but they couldn't wrap their minds around it. They were so astonished that the only way to deal with it was dismiss it. And sometimes when you challenge people and you minister to people because they can't wrap their brain around it, then their conclusion is, I'm going to dismiss you because I can't figure out how to deal with the conviction of the Holy Spirit or the leadership that you're offering me. Very true. Very true. Of course, the story ends well because James, one of Jesus' blood brothers, becomes the overseer at the Church of Jerusalem. I like to say the greatest proof of Jesus' deity is that his own brother's and family came to the place where they believed that he was God in the flesh. That's pretty solid proof when your own family believes that. Hey, this is Keith Tusi for Leadership in Context. Walk free, deliver people from their offenses in Jesus' name. An offense doesn't stay with just the person who was offended. It puts a stumbling block in 
front of other people and diminishes the ministry and calling of someone else. As leaders, we need to walk free of offense and help deliver people from their offenses. Thanks for listening this week to another episode of Leadership in Context with Keith Tusi. Join us next week as Keith continues to equip believers to lead in every area and venue of life. As always, subscribe, like, rate, and share our podcast. To contact Keith or ask him a question, email podcast at nrpastors.com. If you would like more information, you can check out our website, find us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram at nrpastors. See you next week.